Um, I want to welcome you to uh, a series that we're going through called For the Life of the World. We have two weeks left in this series, and this, this seri- the sermon series is that uh, we're asking the question, what is our salvation actually for? Um, how is it that Jesus, through his resurrection, brings, brings life out of death? And uh, thank you, Jill, for the beautiful cover art, which really pictures that. Uh, uh, the fact that Jesus can come in where there has been death, where there's been rotting, where there's been tragedy, and he can actually bring life out of it through his resurrection. And what's more, we as his people can participate in that. It's an incredible thing. And in this sermon series, we're exploring all of the different ways where we can join the resurrection, new life work of Jesus. We've explored how love and justice and knowledge and work And today we'll talk about how wonder, and next week how the church, all harmonizes together in this grand story of all sad things coming untrue. Um, We are also watching a series of films which explore this from kind of an artistic bent. If you want access to those, let me know. Uh, The one on wonder is particularly good. You can just mark it in your communication form and we'll give you access to the films. So today's message is on wonder, and we're looking at Psalm 34. Wonder is when the soul takes delight in God. Not just when the soul knows about God or or says yes to God, but but actually when the soul begins to feast upon God. When the soul is, is, is ravished and captivated and actually satisfied in God. And if that sounds unrealistic to you, I this message is for you. I have to give my soul permission to feast, whether it's on God or something else. I have to give my soul permission. Because feasting and delighting in is a commitment. It's a commitment of my body and my mind and my heart. They all have to get involved if if I'm going to feast on anything. And so I actually have to give my soul permission and space that's set aside and designated and earmarked for feasting. And I actually want to give you tools to do that today so that your soul can feast on God. One of my friends, I don't know, about a year ago, finished a really difficult professional degree. And in celebration of his finish, we had a pig roast. Um, And we devoted ourselves to this pig roast. Okay, we got babysitters, which is no small feat. Okay, we got on some fancy clothes. We entered a space we don't usually enter. We put aside all the other things that could hold our attention. And we collectively exhaled all of our fears and preoccupations so that we could sit down and eat pig to celebrate our friend. (laughs) And we were satisfied, let me tell you, my friends. We were satisfied. We had permission. We had space to do that. Now, normally, my food intake is much more like eating a banana on the brown line. Okay? It's, uh, I got to get somewhere. And so I don't have time to feast. It's a luxury I can't afford. I can't afford the time. I can't afford the energy. I can't afford the space. I can't afford the money for a pig roast every single day of my life. So I'm eating a banana on the brown line so that my body can have the calories that it needs to accomplish the task that I need to accomplish so that I can survive my life. 
maybe this is your life as well. Calories, you're taking them in so that you can do the task you need to do, so you can finish what's expected of you, so everything doesn't fall apart. Because it's this far away from falling apart. You just miss a couple of things, a couple of deadlines, forget some things, and, and things are going bad for you. And so maybe you don't feel like you have permission to feast on anything. Spiritually, let alone physically. I want to speak today to all of those fears. If you feel like you can't feast in any way, this is a sermon for you. This is a message for people who are under pressure. This is a message for people who are stressed. This is a message for people who feel they don't have enough time in the day for things they've already committed to, let alone have time enough in the day to feast upon the delights of God. If you think that is a luxury you can't afford, please listen to Psalm 34, and please listen to what the Lord has to say to you. I want you to know that there's permission to let your soul feast upon the delight and goodness of God, and it will have no relevant impact on the rest of your life except that you are feasting and delighting on the goodness of God. That's the only thing it will do. It's not going to make your projects better. It's not going to make your marriage better. It's not going to solve your problems. But it is nevertheless what you were created to do, and you have permission to feast upon the goodness of God. Maybe you're stressed right now. You're just trying to keep up, and you think to yourself, Aaron, I don't have the luxury to not be stressed. I do not have the luxury to not be keyed up. Because otherwise, I will not keep up. Stress is the way I get through life. Stress is the way I accomplish the tasks I need to accomplish. Maybe you feel that if you let yourself take childlike delight in God, you would fall behind. Your finances would fall behind. Your children would fall behind. The cleanliness of your house would fall behind. Your social connections would fall behind. Your career and your studies, there's too much to do. All of it needs attention, and there's no time for a feast. Maybe you're like, you know what? Maybe the pig roast is later. It's like once I get through this gauntlet, then I can take delight. It will be later. It's when I've earned it. And that's how we're conditioned to think about feasting. You earn it, and then you have permission because you've earned up all the tokens, and then you pay all the tokens at the door, and you're like, I've worked so hard. I now have permission to delight. I now have permission to feast. There is such a difference between paying all the tokens that you've earned with your sweat and feasting that way and the feast that the Lord is offering in Psalm 34. They are two different feasts with two very different outcomes. I want to invite you to the second feast where you pay a different entrance fee, very different from the one that you earn. Not tokens, but fears... Your shame, your sadness, that's the entrance fee that you pay. We're going to learn about that in Psalm 34. I want to tell you a story. This is a story for all of you who are stressed out. There was an extraordinarily gifted young man, and he got discovered. He was kind of undiscovered. He got discovered because he was a talented guy by the cultural gatekeepers of his day. He was, he was a nobody, but he had remarkable talents. He was an artist. He was a leader. He could inspire people. 
Not only that, he could crush the competition. This young man was tapped to go high up in the government of his day. He, he became Secretary of Defense of his government. He went from almost nobody to, to a cabinet member nationally. Very talented young guy. Now this is stressful. If you think you're stressed now, wait till you get good at what you do. Wait till you get discovered. Wait till you get some attention. Stress begins to mount. The better you get, the better you'd better get. Thank you, David Allen, for that. The better you get, the better you'd better get. Maybe you're getting good at what you do, and now you're, get, now you're feeling the stress. And you're like, no, 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 but I thought that when I, once I got good at what I do, then I could relax. Wrong. That's not the way it works. You've become useful to us. You may not take a break. So keep up, key up, stress up, keep it high, keep your alertness there. Because that's what makes you useful. And it is only until you earn enough tokens that you can feast. Maybe that's how you feel. So this young upstart um, made his superior jealous. He earned the jealousy and paranoia of his superior. And his boss, the king, tried to take his life. And in fact, not only did he take away his position, he, he was trying to assassinate him with some of his best soldiers. And so this young man, King David, not yet King David, started to run. And do you know what he did to survive? He went to a rival king for help. How desperate do you have to be than to go to someone who used to be your rival, like you killed some of his men, for help? And once some people recognized him, they were like, hey, Ashish. Like, this guy is our enemy. He's dangerous. Once David realized that his plan was a bad plan, he had to act insane. He had to foam at the mouth and scratch at the walls so the king that he tried to get help from would let him go. And then from there, do you know where he went? He went to a secret cave, and his best plan was to recruit people in debt people in distress, and people who are depressed, and some family members. Not the best team. But that was his best plan. That was all he had. Now, let me tell you this. Maybe you think, ah, wonder and delight in God. That was what they did in the olden days. Not now. You know, I've got too much to do. Listen, it was in between scratching at the wall and recruiting people in debt that David wrote Psalm 34. Isn't that incredible? <clears throat> if I ever felt stress in my life, it would be in between begging a rival king to save me and going to a secret cave to recruit family members and people in debt to help me. If there was ever a time where I felt like I'm not allowed to feast... I'm not allowed to take delight in God. It would be then. It would be in that journey. And yet it was in that journey that David entered the most amazing sanctuary and took delight in God, and it was a feast for his soul. It was a feast for a humble man. It was a feast for a poor man. He cried, and the Lord delivered him. Let's listen to what he says. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. 
His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now just stop there. Think about this continual feast. Think about constantly eating. That David is constantly eating and feasting on the goodness of the Lord when he's pretending to be insane. That he's feasting on the Lord when Saul is throwing a spear at his head. That he's delighting in the Lord when he's running and thinking about how he's going to recruit people in debt, distress, and depression to help him survive. Have any of you noticed that Brad Pitt is eating in almost every scene of every movie he's ever in? He's like always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like always eating. He's like always eating. It's like it doesn't matter if he's in a if he's in danger or if he's like the cool guy or whatever whatever kind of weird character he's playing. He's always eating. David is always eating. It doesn't matter if he's under stress. It doesn't matter if he's in duress or he's the secretary of defense. He's always eating. He's always delighting in the goodness of God. It's a constant mental, spiritual, bodily reality for him. How can it be that David does this? Verse 2, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Friends, David was not enamored with himself. This is so important for us. He was not enamored with himself. He's never self-critical, nor is he self-promoting. That's a trap for us, friends, isn't it? For you to get so obsessed with yourself that you look upon yourself with incredible amounts of anxiety. How am I doing today? Am I succeeding? Am I failing? The self-critic will fire up if you're failing or if you're not stressed out. David was, he was neither self-promoting nor self-obsessing nor self-criticizing. He was finding someone good to boast in, someone delightful to boast in. And it's so good that he invites others to join him. And you've done this, haven't you? You've done this before. David says, let the humble hear and be glad. But when you find something that you delight in, you invite your friends too. Jenny's ice cream, right? You've done this. The lakefront path in the summer. Sufjan Stevens, Ravinia. Let the humble hear and be glad. There's something good to delight in. David has found it. He wants his friends. He wants the depressed. He wants his family. He wants the distressed. He wants people in debt to join him in his wonder. Who cares if your problems are solved or not? There's someone good to feast on. Verse 3, I, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us, let us exalt his name together. But what about surviving, David? What about a strategy? What about defeating King Saul? What about me? What about you? Shh, shh, shh. Let us exalt his name together. You have permission to put aside those anxieties and to put aside that obsession and take delight and actually become enamored with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who is so good so holy, so satisfying that we can actually, we have permission in the middle of our stress to take delight in him together. Now, how could that be David's story? You think about the stress he was under and the delight he had. How in the world could those two things go together? And that's why we need the, the next part of the psalm to better understand. Verse four, he says that this, I sought the Lord And he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Consider this. Consider all that David had to bring to the Lord. Consider the entrance fee of entering the presence of God. 
his fears. And think about all the fears. I sought the Lord with my fear of dying. I sought the Lord from my fear of powerful people. I sought the Lord from people who were mad at me. I sought the Lord with my fear of not having enough to eat. I sought the Lord with my fear of being abandoned. I sought the Lord with the, Lord with the fear that it's not all going to be okay. And he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Don't read from this. And the Lord solved all of my problems and gave me an easy path to success. Because that's not what happened. Okay? The Lord delivered him from all his fears. And I love this phrase because without even knowing it, we can go from having fears to being had by our fears. Our fears actually have us. And they have us to the point where we need to be delivered from our fears like David was delivered from his fears. Maybe some of you have felt the incredible chokehold of anxiety. You feel it around your neck. You feel it in your chest. And, and, and you, you feel seized. And, and you wonder, unless I can solve my problems, unless I can make this anxiety go away, unless I can have more control over my life, it's not going to be okay, and I'm going to be a prisoner to this anxiety. What if I die? What if someone I love dies? What if this person or that person attacks me again with words or worse, or I lose my job? Or what if my greatest hopes never materialize? Sometimes that can be worse. Or my greatest fears do materialize. Our anxieties reach out and try to have us. And we let them when that's what we feast upon. So David brought his fears to the Lord. What else did he bring to the Lord? He brought his shame. Let's look at verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. I can tell when I've had an interaction with one of my children that has encouraged them, that has lifted up their spirits. I can see it in their face. Their face is shining, and this is what happens when we encounter the face of God and he encourages us and he actually takes our shame from us, the things that we are critical of ourselves for. Some of you feel so ashamed because you did not live up to your own expectations for what your life should look like. And so you feel ashamed. You feel maybe even a little bit depressed. And maybe even you want to hide your face because you didn't do it good enough. Perhaps David felt this as well. He doesn't spell it out. This is somewhat artistic. We don't need to know exactly what he felt ashamed of, but we can imagine that going from secretary of defense to loner on the run, under threat of assassination, would make David feel like he was a failure of some sort, like he wasn't good enough. He didn't do it good enough. And he wanted to hide his face. He wanted to be downcast. But when he looked up to the Lord and brought his shame, the Lord gave him a radiance and a confidence, not in himself, but in the goodness of God and the delight of God upon him. It is the delight of God that we receive when we come with our shame to him and we allow him to deal with it. We allow him to give us the affirmation and the peace that we need to follow him. So he brought his anxieties, he brought his shame, and verse 6, he brought his sadness. 
Read with me verse 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. Perhaps this is a cry of distress. Perhaps this is also a cry of loss. Those two things can go together as well. We've lost something that's precious to us. We're not getting it back. It sucks. It's sad. We have to grieve something precious. David had a friendship to grieve. David was so tight with Jonathan, and he had actually be separated from Jonathan for a long time. Their friendship would never enjoy the freedom that it had. Perhaps David felt alone like a, like a poor man. Something precious was lost. He brought his fears, he brought his shame, he brought sadness to the Lord. That was his entrance fee. That was, what got, that was what got him into the presence of God. That's perhaps what motivated Psalm 34, what motivated what happened with him. And then, once he paid the entrance fee, he walked into the feast. Let's observe this feast. Verse 8. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. What is it like to feast? What is it like to be hungry and to have food put in front of you that makes your mouth water, that makes your taste buds dance? To be surrounded by friends and family that you love that you take joy in, that you take delight in. There's a sense of exhaling, and there's a sense of delighting, and there's also a sense in which I can fill up to the fullness of what my soul desires and needs. And when we come to the table of the Lord, when we come to the presence of the Lord, we can taste, we can delight, and it is so good for the soul. It is so nourishing, it is so satisfying, that you come out on the other end of it, inviting others to taste and see with you. You want to multiply this feast. You want to make more seats at the table. And this is what David does. He tastes, he fears the Lord, and he seeks the Lord. Some of us feel incapable of feasting upon the Lord. This feels like an ethereal, spiritual thing that perhaps is oversold or you're not good at it. I want to encourage you that the way to the table of the Lord is not in being good enough, and it's not in feeling a certain thing. One of the great insights of the spiritual writers over the centuries has been this idea that the Lord is so good that actually we have to enter into a season of training so that we will have freedom to do what we are not yet now free to do. Perhaps right now you do not feel the freedom to delight in the Lord. You only feel free to be under stress. You only feel seized by sadness, shame, and fear. I want to encourage you towards two disciplines that will allow you to come to the presence of the Lord and feast upon the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His love, His holiness, His goodness, His delight in you. Here's the first discipline. Pay the entrance fee. 
pay the entrance fee over and over and over again. And the entrance fee are the things that you have in your life that you cannot now handle. The fears that have gripped you. The sadness that feels like too much. The things that make you angry. The things that you're critical of yourself for. You've been carrying those. And it's now time to become aware of them and to give them over to the Lord. Whether you're eating a banana on the brown line or you're relaxing. To actually intend those things to open your soul to the Lord and to say, this is yours. I'm actually coming to you, Lord, with these things. I'm coming to you with my unfinished plans. I'm coming to you with my, the problems that are in my children's life that I can't solve on my own. I'm coming to you with my messy house. I'm coming to you with graduate school plans that have not yet materialized. I'm coming to you with my alcohol addiction. I'm coming to you with my loneliness. This is where, my, this is where I'm at. This is my reality. You are giving yourself permission when you pay that entrance fee to enter the feast of the Lord. That's what you give him. You pay the entrance fee. And the second discipline is to feast. And there's three ways we can feast. The first way is in thought. What do you think of? What is the constant narrative that's running through your mind? What are you always snacking on mentally? Is the thought, I have to survive or I'm going to fall behind? Perhaps you can take a truth from Psalm 34, a truth about who the Lord is, and begin to intentionally think on that. Maybe even just memorize one line from the psalm and let it be something that you think of and feast on early in the morning when you're in your commute or perhaps when you have five minutes to set aside to consider the goodness of God. It is so good for us to get our eyes off ourselves and how we fall short of our own plans for ourselves and to think on the goodness of God. We can feast in thought. Um, We can feast in word. What are we speaking to people in our life? What truths are we telling to others with whom we share a family table, with whom we share a conference table, with whom we share um, a table of leisure? What words are we using to describe reality? Could you take a truth from Psalm 34 and begin to speak it to others in your life and invite them to, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good? The final way that we can feast is indeed. So we bring our bodies into a space where the wonder and goodness of God is readily accessible to us. I found a space that I loved when I had, I had a day. It was a rare day, but I took it to go to the Garfield Park Conservatory and take some moments to delight in the ferns and the flowers and the thick, humid air surrounding them. And simply take delight in the fact that this is part of God's creation. It's good. It's lovely. In fact, I'm as if I'm standing in the artwork of Jesus, enjoying it, delighting in it. It was so hard to give myself permission to take that day. I'm so glad I did. It was a feast. I want to do that more. Is there a space, a physical space, that you can enter with your body. Sunday morning is one of those spaces. Simply to take delight in the goodness of God. 
So we pay the entrance fee of our sadness, anger, fear, and shame. And then we, we feast. We feast in thought, we feast in word, and we feast in deed. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions, those hungry young lions, they sometimes do go hungry. But those who seek the Lord look, lack no good thing. Whether your problems are solved or not, we have a feast before us. Let us feast together and be satisfied and filled to the full. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.